Welcome to Building with Brick, Foundational Wisdom on Coaching, Careers, and Christ. This leadership podcast was spawned by Coach Brickner's book, So You Want to Be a Coach, which is the story of a corporate executive who made a drastic career change and became a head men's basketball coach. Dr. Brickner's book is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook on Amazon.com or go to his website, www.drjoebrickner.com. That's drjoebrickner.com. Now, here's this week's podcast. Welcome back to part three of four with Rich Neiman. He's my guest on Building with Brick, Foundational Wisdom of Coaching Careers in Christ. Rich, I, I wanted to visit with you about how you moved from your sales position into a teaching career. One of the reasons I wrote my book is because I made that big change from being in corporate America to coaching college basketball. And I'm always interested in knowing why people change their careers and how they went about doing it. So what happened with you? I, I was in sales, uh, inside sales. It was a, a, a fine job. It was, it was okay, but it wasn't a passionate thing. It just, just, it just wasn't. Um, my wife, Julie, finished her degree and got a position to start her career. And at that point, our daughter was ready to start school, so we didn't need home home care for for her or anything like that any longer. Mm-hmm. So I I left my job at Tudor Steel and I got a fellowship from an organization called Coro C O R O. At the time, there were three of them in the country: L.A., San Francisco, and St. Louis. Oddly enough, it's a uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how to phrase it. But the, the gist of it is, is it's an experiential program to gain insight into various aspects of, of the world. So I spent a week in city government, not a week, a month in city government, a month in state government, a month in media, a month in industry, and a month on whatever project you like to do. And with that, I was able to go to Occidental College and uh, complete a master's. So that one year of internship, a summer of classes at Occidental, and then a thesis uh, got me a master's. What a great experience. (laughs) It was was an unbelievable. It really, really was. Um, You meet a lot of people. The the offshoot of that now is a program called Leadership St. Louis. Julie actually joined that, and that's a weekend program. Mine was a 24-7, literally, mm-hmm. round-the-clock deal. The people she met at leadership are the people that you'll read about today, uh, funding the Herbert Hoover Boys Club or, you know, running the Girl Scouts or whatever. It's it's that, that those folks. And so I was lucky to be able to be a part of that. And then, something you may have gone through yourself, there was a book called... No, I forgot. What's my parachute? Oh yeah, yeah. What's it called? It, it, yeah. Uh, um, at any rate, what color is my parachute? What color is my parachute? Yeah. 
at any rate, I spent two weeks in my basement writing my biography, which is harder than you would think. <laughs> and then, uh, out of that, culling through a list of what you like and what you not like. And out of that came a desire to look at it, be an educator. It's now the middle of September. Um, I've written my thing. I've decided this is what I want to be. Unfortunately, school's already started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I sent a resume around to various schools, and one of them was the Archdiocese of St. Louis. The head of human resources at the Archdiocese of St. Louis happened to be my college, my high school counselor. Wow. So, wow. anyway. Anyway, a, a person had just quit at a public or a Catholic school in North St. Louis called Aquinas. Mm. He, he had started, he was teaching, he got an offer, and he left. And so they got a hole that they needed to fill, and here I am. <laughs> that just doesn't happen very often. No, not at all. No, I mean, just the thought of breaking a contract like that. But anyway. So I went up there, and I I was literally, you know, a chapter. I was in the same chapter the students were for all yeah. year because I was just I was teaching history. They then informed me that I needed certification to be an educator, which I didn't have mm-hmm. a chemistry degree. Didn't. So I said, well, you know, I can work on that. Meanwhile, an acquaintance that I'd made through Coro at a school called Mary Institute. It was a very wealthy school for young women. And I had done a project with them during my Coro thing. And they had an opening in science, which was my major. And so off I went to teach there. And probably when you and I were playing, that's where I was working, the Marion Institute. Yeah. Taught there for six, seven years. Um, at night went and got my certification classes through SLU so I could be a legitimate teacher. And then I went into the public system. A fellow named Jerry Bain, who had coached at the Smith High School, a very successful boys basketball program, uh, had moved to Francis Howell and had some really, we had really good players. So I went over there to kind of both teach and coach. Oh, cool. And so that's how I kind of got into the thing. I'd always was interested in coaching, but never, you know, as a, as a full-time profession or as as a college coach, I would say, you know. Um, so anyway, that's how it started, and the ball just keeps rolling. Very, very lucky. You ended up at Brentwood, I think, weren't you? I did, and, yes. And, and you retired from there? I did. Again, the basketball connection, which I, I think is probably part of what you're talking about. Um, in the summertime, there are camps for young people, you know, who want to improve their skills. So I was, I had been contacted by the girls coach at Brentwood. Would you come and do this camp? Which I did. Um, I also worked at St. Louis University camps in the summertime with the players that came through there. And the shock now is to when one of those young women or young men come up and say, you know, you were my cap counselor. And you know, now they're 50 and they got three kids and you look at it like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> But then that's how I got connected with Brentwood, and uh, that was a great, great opportunity as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just had a shock myself just uh, two days ago. Facebook friends with some of my former players, and I saw one of them celebrating a birthday, and it was his 40th birthday. <laughs> and, um, 
I, I, I didn't even say happy birthday. I just sent back and I said, no way. Period. No way. And time just goes so fast. It's ridiculous. It, it really does. It, it's great to see those people and connect. Uh, John O'Brien, whom I mentioned earlier, let me volunteer with him at CMSU, the women's program. And so they've begun having reunions. And so we'll go and, uh, like I say, the, the young ladies now have two and three kids in their, you know, careers and they're starting to think about retirement themselves. And you just got to shake your head like, man. <laughs> you know, your mind says you're 30. Right, exactly. <laughs> your body doesn't say that, but your mind says you're 30. Uh, speaking of bodies, what are you doing to kind of stay in shape now? I know you play some ball on Monday nights. Are there other things that you do? I have been, I do lots. I actually am in a bowling league. Uh, Vince DeGrief got me to play pickleball. So oh, that's no. That's an occasional no. adventure. Um, he's Mr. I, ambassador. He, he's Mr. Mr. Pickleball Ambassador, and, uh, and rightly so for all his trips, you know. Can't run too far. And and I, I really do go to the gym. I don't want to, I don't, I don't kill myself, but I try to make sure I get there three, three, four times a week and do, do enough to kind of keep myself going. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. I'm just about finishing up a deck that a, a friend helped me build. So you know you kind of just keep going with stuff. You know? What do you do to keep your mind busy? <laughs> don't say you tell oh. jokes. <laughs> I don't. Jokes no, are the yeah. worst jokes <laughs> ever. Come on, man. Ever. I should have looked one up for you, but I didn't. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I'd had to cut it short. I, I would have edited it out. <laughs> edited it out, man. You're no fun. When I retired, I, I can remember going to a cocktail party and speaking with a lady who um, had just written a book on what it feels like to retire. Mm. And so I cornered her and offered her a drink and said, hey, let's, you know, whatever. Her advice was, you can do whatever you're good at. In other words, be a tutor, you know, fill in somewhere as a teacher, you know, a coach or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or do something that you have no idea what you're doing. And kind of do it sort of for yourself. I did do some tutoring for a little while. And and that's fine. That's fine. And enjoy the students and all. I volunteer with AARP. And they have a program to do taxes for uh, poor and elderly people. And they train you. These are not the most complicated taxes that you've ever seen in your life. But, you know, the basics. And as you probably know today, they, the IRS wants everything done on a computer. Mm-hmm. And these are folks that haven't grown up with a computer, maybe don't own a computer, and it's a challenge for them. So that's the role that, that AARP's program fills. And through then, I've met some people. I've learned more tax law than I want to think I know. And, uh, you know, that's the part of don't, don't do what you don't have any idea what you're doing. <laughs> but anyway, they train you, you work through it, and um, it's it's a good a good way to feel like you're giving something back to the community. Uh, I also do food pantries, which everybody probably does at one point or the other. So that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's great. That's just, you've got a good heart. You always have had a good heart. Thank you. Thank you. I want to also ask you about, you had at least 16 years of Catholic education. <laughs> right. 
when you reflect back on that, is it positive or is it negative? You know, like we talked about earlier, sometimes people actually believe the Catholic faith because of maybe how hard some nuns were on them, or maybe a priest was mean to them, or worse than that in some cases, etc. But others, you know, it's been something that uh, it formed their faith for the rest of their lives. Kind of, where do you fall in that? Well, I am still a practicing Catholic, so uh, my brother happens to be a Catholic priest, Roman Catholic priest, would say that there's not a tremendous correlation between people staying in the Catholic Church if they've gone through Catholic school versus people who went through public education, perhaps, but were a member of a Catholic family. Mm-hmm. He said he doesn't see a real correlation. Mm-hmm. That having been said, my education, and I'm sure yours, was a really solid grounding in all kinds of things. I have to chuckle, last night on the news, one of the uh, political groups made a, made fun of the word Omicron, the new virus that's flying around. You know, well, that's a virus, that's a phony thing, and you know, they, and I'm going, they probably don't know that that's the fourth letter of the Greek alphabet or the fifth letter of the Greek alphabet, because you know, so what What I had in Catholic education was a broad classical background mm-hmm. and then enough technical background to make it through college and some of the things that we have to do to work. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, it was fundamental math skills that you used to get through your university came from some, some teacher back in when you were 16 years old or something and mm-hmm. pounded it in there somehow. Mm-hmm. So for me, I I really, really appreciate and thankful for the breadth of education that they offered. St. Louis U required uh, 12 hours of theology, which in many cases is called a minor. Uh, they required 12 hours of philosophy, which again, some places would call that a minor. Now, would I have signed up for those things if it hadn't been on my little list that we talked about a couple things ago? Probably not, mm-hmm. but it was in the list, so you just do it, right? Mm-hmm. I still think um, a lot about those lessons. They really come home strong. I know, I don't know, but I, I don't think Julie is a Catholic, right? Your wife, Julie, I don't believe she's a Catholic, is she? She, um, she was raised all the way through, of course, uh, what was called St. Joe's in Shawnee. It's now St. Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. She went to Fontbonne Catholic School. And we still go to Mass, although her her battle is with the hierarchy and oh. some of the rules that the Church puts down. Yeah. We're probably of a more liberal bent than many. It's sometimes hard to hard to listen to what 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 you're being told versus what you think. Hmm. Is that right? You know that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting myself that they think that anytime the Pope says anything that that's you know, <laughs> infallible. Right. Yeah. I think over the church history, the Pope has only spoken about three times. Right. Infallibility. Infallibility. Had to do with the Blessed Mother. Yeah. No matter what he thinks about climate change, that's not infallible. (laughs) (laughs) No. You're exactly right. But but there's so many ex-Catholics that uh, we we have some friends that. Uh, that we thought were strong Catholics, and we found out just recently that they don't go to church anymore. It's because they don't like the Pope. And you go, wait a second, 
what's the Pope have to do with your faith? <laughs> yeah, right. This is, this is the Christian faith. So it, it's just, in today's environment, it's just difficult. Uh, there's so many different things out there, and, and people don't know enough. They don't read, they don't do enough research, uh, in my opinion, mm -hmm. to figure it out. And it's unfortunate because in today's world, everything is in 30 second bites. Right. You know, right. So you, you don't spend the time really digging into things like you probably ought to. But, well, I know that you were influential in my faith. You probably don't know this. Thank you. <laughs> you were when I, when I moved there. And, and staying or leaving. Well, I almost <laughs> I don't want to be like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you were the one that turned me on to Father Cleary. Ah, there you go. And then I remember I'd always used to ask you on whenever we played ball, I said, well, where's Father Cleary preaching this weekend? You know, and I wasn't the best Catholic as far as going to the same church every time. We belong to that church. Mm -hmm. But if I knew Father Cleary was preaching at a different church, I'd go to his mass because right. he was outstanding. Yeah. Now, he knew the Bible so well and he could relate it yeah. to today's environment, etc. He was he was terrific. So my hat's off to you and Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's pretty much why we live where we live. I was uh we moved back to St. Louis, we went got an apartment and then you start looking for homes and stuff and I had gone to hear his mass and I said, I want to be in a home that's close enough to get there. I never was really, we grew up with boundaries, you know, where you, this, if you're in this boundary, you go to this church. Right. And I never really got all excited about that. So actually, wherever Father Cleary was, that's where I go. We still are that way. I, I have um, been, and Julie has also been influenced by a number of priests and the church we go to now is in the Grove area. It's on Manchester and Boyle down in the city. And oh. that came from a guy that she knew when she was on the diocesan finance committee, okay. a guy named Jerry Kleba. If you have time and are interested, he's written a book called Are You Still a Priest? And it opens up with a picture of him sitting on a curb with a black kid. And today, if you saw that picture, what you're going to think right away is that priest is messing with those kids. Whereas in the past, you would think he's there to help them in counseling, right. which is where right. he's at. Right. And that's the issue that he discusses in this book is, you know, you walk down the street with your uh, black shirt and collar on, and some people think that's cool, and other people automatically think you're a pedophile. And it's a sad, sad situation. Yeah, yeah, it really but, is. But I think Julie's issue is primarily the way uh, the Catholic faith has treated women. If you mm -hmm. look at the condition of nuns today who, you know, labored for us intensively, but no Social Security, no right. no support from other than the once once a year collection, right. no support from their order, and the orders are shrinking. You know, the whole. The whole system for the for the women anyway has leaves a lot to be desired. Unfortunately, people didn't understand or realize that until recently, you know, recently the last ten, fifteen years probably yeah. when we figured it out. But those nuns gave their lives for us. You know, they did. 
we were the, we were their lives as being yeah. students. We were their lives, yeah. and, and I have both fond and not great memories. Different things, <laughs> but most of the time it's fond. But you know, I had I had one mom that I had her in the sixth and the seventh grade, and she was the coolest gal. She was a younger gal, and she was a music major. But back then, you know, she's teaching all subjects. So, wow, yeah, you're right, yeah. you're right. And we learned really well from her. She was a, a great teacher. But every day, she took a whole class up to the top floor of the school where they had an auditorium-type thing, and she'd get on that piano and just start playing the piano and having us sing these different songs. I mean, the Air Force fight song, you name it. And, and, and she'd always say to us, she'd say, now, what's the number one hit today? Because I guess they weren't allowed to listen to the radio. <laughs> and she, wow. And can you sing it for me? You know, and, and she put plays together and everything. And uh, boy, and I always wonder what happened to her because she would have been in that type of situation where, as she grew older, unless she was part of a convent and could go back there and be taken care of by some of the younger nuns, what did happen to those people? Yeah. You know, it's kind of scary. I think the Catholic Church is moving now into, into fixing a lot of those things. Right. We, we would hope, you know, the the issue. Um, my brother had a friend who was a priest in Alaska. I don't know. So we went to visit him. And the model that we have in St. Louis, where every parish has two priests and a secretary and four nuns, you know, it doesn't exist there and it doesn't exist here any longer because all that. That the religious community is shrinking as well. Right. And you start to think of, you know, who ran those churches in, in some city that's remote from Anchorage. Mm. It's basically nuns. They were the ones that set up the services. They had services that wasn't mass, but they would have a service every week. They would uh, work in the schools, you know, all that stuff. And then once a month or once a week or whatever, Father would come by and do the mass and, and that. So that's, you know, that's the model I think we're going to see more of, for sure. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Rich, we better take another break at this point. Okay. Our last break. Okay. When we come back, I'd really like to have you talk about your advice that you would share, because you've had a lot of really great experiences in your lifetime, and the advice you would share with players and with coaches and with uh, people that want to be teachers, etc. When we come back, we can talk about that if it's okay with you. Okay, it's okay. I don't know if I have enough of it, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. All right. 